Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience. Unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. We have to grow the plants. You know, cannabis, though it does grow on trees. <laughs> Somebody's got to grow it. I thought that it. joke was way funnier than it really was, but you know what? I'm running with it. Somebody's got to grow it. And then there's got to be science behind that growing process. And then there's got to be people that are looking into how to make it better. And we, albeit admittedly anti-pesticide in any way, shape, or form, we do know cannabis sucks so much out of the soil. You want to do it as natural and as pure as possible. And that is what we are talking about this week. We had the pleasure of talking to Jeff Lowenfels who has published or will be publishing up to four books, has published three books on growing cannabis and goes into so much detail about the fungi network and how to grow and all of that. Strawberry set us up, even though I just set us up hard. I think that's a great intro. (laughs) Let's go straight to Jeff on a little bit about who he is, what he does and what we're going to talk about. My name is Jeff Lowenfels. I go by the moniker Lord of the Roots because I have three books out on soil. Uh, Well, really, maybe not soil, but the science behind organic gardening. And then I've got a fourth book coming out on a brand new plant, which I think is going to become the next tomato. Uh, And many people have not heard about it. Some have. It's called auto-flowering cannabis, so we should talk about all of those things today. So when did you lose the moniker, the dirtiest lawyer in America? I am a lawyer by profession. I'm not anymore. I'm retired, but I was America's dirtiest lawyer because I had a soil book out, Teeming with Microbes, the Organic Mm. Gardener's Guide to the Soil Food Web, and uh, that's what my friends called me, dirty lawyer, (laughs) the soil, you know, a little stupid little pun thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I came out with a second book, still Dirtiest Lawyer, but then I had a trilogy. <laughs> ah. Once you get a trilogy, you know, so now I'm Lord of the Roots. So both wonderful monikers, the Lord of the Roots and Dirtiest Lawyer. I would go by either of those any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> which is just, it shows Jeff's amazing sense of humor, which you'll see and hear throughout this whole episode. So... He was a lawyer, of course, but he, in his retirement, or, or maybe not even retirement, but... No, he started writing before he retired, and, yeah. and that's kind of one of the things that I wanted to know when I was talking to him is, how did you get into writing books about gardening? And he actually held down a garden column in the local newspaper for decades. So we talked a little bit about that. Well, I came from a family of a long family of gardeners. My grandfather was sold tomato plants in the springtime uh, to pay his taxes on his property in White Plains, New York. And mm-hmm. uh, my father would come home every every day and put his old clothes on and grow our food in Scarsdale, New York. And so I moved to Alaska, and of course, I I, I was a gardener uh, as as little as you can grow here. You know, at the time it was before global warming, and we were growing snow peas and snowball cauliflower. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, iceberg, lettuce, you know, things that you would expect to grow in Alaska. It's since warmed up, I might add quite a bit, but nonetheless, I was also a news junkie. And we had a problem here with a joint newspaper agreement. Long story short, we broke, helped the publisher of one of the newspapers break the agreement. And I agreed to write a garden column 
for her. And uh, I've been writing a garden column every single week now for 40, I think it's up to 44 years. Never missed a wow. week because they put your picture in the paper and it says <laughs> he's on vacation. He'll, he'll be back, you know, he'll be back in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And to me, that always, that always said, hey, he's not home, rob his house. So I always <laughs> had a column. So I've been writing a garden column. And then in 2006, I came out with uh, a book called Teeming with Microbes. I used to go to meetings, uh, the Garden Writers of America. I would argue about miracle Grow and, you know, what a great product it was. And uh, some of my friends would say, no, 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 you've got to be organic. And uh, lo and behold, I I convinced myself that that's the way to go and uh, went with it with a vengeance. And since I'm the kind of guy that I am, I, I needed to know the science behind organics. And so that, that resulted in teaming with microbes. The second book is how do plants eat that food and what do they do with it once they get it inside them? Uh, and then the third book came out because uh, in the first book, I mentioned something called mycorrhizal fungi. They were uh, just then becoming known. They uh, since then uh, became much more popular and much more was known, was learned about them. And so I had to revise the first book. And finally, there was so much about them that it deserved a, a full book. So I wrote a third book called Teeming with Fungi. So I have Teeming with Microbes, Teeming with Nutrients was the second book, mm-hmm. and Teeming with Fungi is the third book. And all three of those together basically describe how a plant gets its food and, and what it does with it. And, and somehow, uh, these books, which are pretty science-based, uh, yeah. have become grow Bibles for oh. uh, all sorts of people. Yeah. So there's yeah. quite a bit of cannabis, cannabis use of these books. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter because it can't, cannabis is just a plant. Yeah. So they all go the same way. And it is incredible the amount of information that this guy just has on recall. Yeah, I mean, clearly not the kind of person that can just be like, hmm, this sounds like a good idea, I'll try it. Like, he really dove into these subjects and went hardcore into the science behind all this. Absolutely, which is why it's kind of so important, because it does take individuals like this that go so far down the rabbit hole to pull out all that good information for us. And what we went on to talk about in regards to Um, That idea of, quote, teeming with fungus and how that can better a garden bed and better produce um, anything from cannabis to tomatoes, which we talked about, was amazing. And I think there's nothing else we can say about it besides let Jeff talk about it. Well, let's let's go back a little bit further, and I'll give you the thesis. It's not actually the thesis anymore. It is the the fact uh, that plants... This is teaming with microbes, uh, you know, sort of introduced this concept to a general public, although I didn't invent it by any means. Plants take their photosynthetic energy and they do lots of things with it. And about 50 to 60 percent of it is used to produce things that they drip out of their root system called exudates. You're exudating, you're sweating. Uh, your, 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 Your exudate is actually doing the same thing that these plant-produced exudates are doing. And they put them out through their roots into the soil, and they're full of carbon. And they attract bacteria and fungi that need that carbon in order to live. 
And so they're in the rhizosphere, that little area right around the root zone, eating that carbon, having a great time. Mm-hmm. And along come nematodes, which are little worms, and protozoa, those things you studied in high school but couldn't figure out why, amoebas and paramecium. <laughs> Yeah. And, and and they eat they eat the bacteria and the fungi, but they and they eat it because they need carbon too, and so they digest the carbon out of the bacteria and fungi, and mm-hmm. some of the other stuff as well. But they don't need everything, and so they poop it out to use a, a word, uh, and they poop it out, and and all of a sudden the plant discovers that it's got nutrients in usable form. So what the plant is mm. doing is it's attracting its food source to its roots. And then ah. the bigger guys come and blah, 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 you know. And all. But fungi, there's a particular, two things happen. First of all, fungi are, are attracted and they break down food right there, you know, using the acids that fungi are known for. And they break the food down and that food becomes available for the plant. But there's a special kind of fungi known as a mycorrhizal fungi. And the mycorrhizal fungi is, forms a symbiotic relationship with the plant. And in return for those exudates, it gives the plant nutrients that it goes and gets. Nitrogen, phosphorus, zinc, copper, and water, and other things that it brings back to the plant in return for the carbon that the plant gives it. So, lo and behold, 90 to 96% of all plants on the planet Earth have this association. And most people have never heard about it. So if you're looking at a plant right now, you're looking at a plant in the root zone that's got fungi that are feeding that plant. And those fungi are incredibly important. And if they're not there, the plant doesn't do well. And if you import the right fungi, you can change your ecology uh, from, say, a prairie to a forest. If you're growing cannabis, there's one specific fungi that does the nutrient work for cannabis. And so if you know what that is and how to apply it and how it works, bingo. You can apply it to your cannabis and it will help you grow better cannabis. So there you go. That's in a nutshell what the fungi is. And and get your pencils and papers out if you happen to be a cannabis grower because the fungi you want is now called, and it's gone through several different name changes, Rhizophagus interradices. So is, is that then uh, kind of, we're, we're going to make a little shift here. That specific fungi, you said it went through multiple different names. This particular fungi used to be called Glomus mossae, named after the woman, the first person who was able to grow a mycorrhizal fungi in the lab. And there are about 360 of them that we know of but only about 15 to 20 can be grown in the lab. Now, they sleep around, so you can use that rhizophagus interocetes on tomato plants, on lots of different kinds of plants, but it happens to work very well, uh, and it's the only one that works on uh, cannabis plants. You dirty, dirty fungi sleeping around. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, it is interesting to hear kind of where these things came from or how they were derived. Um, and if you are a cannabis grower, even if you're an amateur and you're kind of curious about integrating some of this um, to your grow op, creating that good fungi network, uh, we were curious, can you actually just buy this stuff in a store? Is this readily available? Is it lab made? How can you get your hands on it? 
yes, there are many, many people. Uh, where you lived is a company called uh, Bigfoot, Bigfoot oh. Mycorrhizal, quite good. Uh, yeah, you can buy it uh, at any any uh, grow store. And if it's a good nursery, it'll have mycorrhizal fungi. And there's several different brands, but you want to get the right kinds. So you have to look at the label and you have to know what your plant uses. So it sounds like if you go to a legit grow store, you can buy this just about anywhere if you know what to look for. Mm-hmm. Mycorrhizal fungi. Yes. Is what you're looking so, for on the packaging. Write it down. If you don't know how to spell it, look up our blog at maryjanexperience.com slash blog. You should know that by now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyhow, so this sieged us into another conversation about the fact that a lot of these fungi are psychedelic. Yeah. And that brings up the whole plant network and root network, which is kind of interesting if you think about it, that these psychedelic mushrooms are giving food to an effective psychedelic plant. Yeah, they're connecting, they're communicating across soil networks. Ooh, which may just be poetic in the end of the day, but I thought it was kind of cool. And, you know, Jeff had a lot to say about what um, this mycorrhizal fungi really passes on to cannabis plants. A lot of these mycorrhizal fungi are psychedelic. Now it becomes very interesting. So not only do they connect because they form this, these are the fungi that form those wonderful networks underground that you've been hearing about and reading about in the general press that enable plants to talk to each other. This is the mycelium network. Mycelium are running, as Paul Stamets, the wonderful mycologist author, talks about. And, and many of them turn out to be psychedelic. So they are not only connecting trees and plants and marigold, you know, to each other, but they're making a connection to humanity as well. Pretty interesting. Just wow. saying. <laughs> I mean, you know, those trees that you're looking at are all connected because of that mycorrhizal network. Uh, you know, and the communal, the communal nature of it. I mean, the the way the fungi got man or women, uh, humankind to 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 take them. I mean, you know, so you're up in Siberia, you're a shaman, uh, you're wandering around, you see a uh, Amanita mascara. You know, the Alice in Wonderland, that that unbelievably beautiful, but also quite deadly mushroom that's uh, uh, red with white white little pimples mm-hmm. all over it, mm-hmm. warts on it. So the Amanita mascara. Uh, the, the shaman would wander around and he would follow the reindeer who would eat the Amanita mascara. Then he would collect their urine. He would drink their urine. And then he would go back to the village and everybody in the village would drink his urine. So huh. that is the communal, the communal nature of, uh, of the whole, whole system, which is fascinating to me. With. So that to me was one of the most interesting parts of this interview. And I, it, it seems so wholly perfectly poetic for the things that we talk about all the time, how there seems to be this communal feeling about cannabis. If, if you're a stoner, you recognize stoners, kind of things that, that people just seem to get it. It seems to all be connected. to. So to hear this connection between psychedelic fungi, cannabis plants, and how even mushrooms are in a way attractive to human beings is it's just poetic and beautiful at the end of the day. It really and is. I like it. I mean, the connection between plants, of course, it's it's making that an information highway underground. 
but bringing it to the human level, you know, we've talked about cannabis as being essentially a cure for the loneliness epidemic, bringing people together, yep. which, you know, it's just one of those things you could dive real deep into if you want to. <laughs> Anyways, what we wanted to know next was just how Jeff, what his like base interest what was it about cannabis and the plant that interests him specifically and what his relationship has been with it? Well, you know, I, I always like to say now that my parents are gone, <laughs> you know, I've, I, I'm 70 years old and I've been, you know, I've been doing cannabis since it was called marijuana. And it, it's just always been a fun plant to grow. Partly, of course, originally because it was illegal, then because it was it was a plant where you you know you could exercise your skills. And now I'm in, and you know, of course, the the real reason is because I love the THC and the flavonoids and the cannabinoids and mm -hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a fun plant to grow, and so I've always always tried to grow a couple of plants. It's always been fun indoors, outdoors. I live in Alaska where it has been legal since 1975 in any place where you have an expectation of privacy. And so, so I've had quite a bit of experience as a, you know, just a home grower. And, mm -hmm. and then this is a, a, probably a great way to segue into what we were beginning to talk about uh, when, you, when, when we decided to start the recording. Yeah. And that is uh, what, what my next book is going to be about. Uh, and that is auto-flowering cannabis. More about auto-flowering cannabis and just gardening tactics in general from our friend Jeff in just a moment. Right now we got to keep the lights on, so bear with us. Today's episode is brought to you by Green Screens. Dispensaries are losing revenue and customer loyalty by ignoring basic in-store and point-of-sales marketing tactics. On the other hand, retailers using green screens are increasing in-store purchases by up to 60% using advanced digital menu boards. Learn how you can use digital signage in your dispensary to secure customer loyalty, increase foot traffic, and boost your sales by visiting greenscreens.tv. Some of your listeners uh, know about autoflowering cannabis. Maybe they had an experience with it back uh, uh, in the 1970s when they were first introduced. I'll give a little bit of a history, but they are not the same plants that we have today. So pay attention, folks, because I believe that these are going to be for the, at least the home grower and the home gardener, meaning your mother, you know, your uncle, mm -hmm. uh, Aunt Sally, Uncle Bob, you know, these are going to be the next tomato. So I asked you to write down the date because you had never heard of autoflowering cannabis. And, and I am telling you right now that there's a wave coming and there'll be a period of time in our lives when you'll go into, uh, you, you know, your local supermarket at Christmas time and you'll, you'll pick up for decoration's sake on the Christmas table, a mm -hmm. lovely little cannabis plant about the size of a, of a, of a you know, maybe a foot or foot and a half tall. Uh, just coming into bud with some beautiful red buds and some beautiful purple green leaves. Mm. You know, uh, you'll be walking into your your uh, your uh, nursery in the in the spring, and you'll buy starts, uh, six packs of mm -hmm. oil flowering cannabis. That that that's where, where these plants. Now let me explain what they are. Regular cannabis is a terrific plant, and and those of us that have grown it, we know it's fun. 
Uh, it takes a lot of skill sometimes. I guess I should say it takes a lot of skill to do it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a lot of time, and it takes a lot of effort. Uh, you can throw the seeds out into the woods. You might get lucky. Uh, but but really, it, it, to grow good cannabis, you need a good knowledge of how to grow cannabis. Cannabis has a couple of couple of very interesting characteristics that you have to know as a grower. The very first is that these are big plants. So you're not going to grow a cannabis in a little six-inch pot. You need a big pot to grow these plants, and you need a lot of room. They are not suited for growing on a condo, an apartment, uh, you know, inside an apartment. You know, they're just big plants. The second thing is they have a photo period requirement, meaning they require a certain number of darkness, hours of darkness, before they'll flower. Now, people who listen to your podcast, they know this. So, so mm-hmm. it has, a, it has a, a need for 12 plus hours of darkness before it'll flower, whether it's cannabis sativa or cannabis indica. Now, if you live in Anchorage, Alaska, that 12 hours of darkness comes just about the same time as the first frost. Mm-hmm. So you, you're, not, you're not growing cannabis. It doesn't matter how early you started indoors. It's very hard to grow cannabis without a heated greenhouse in northern climates. It's very hard to grow it in lots of other places because the 12 hours of darkness can be interrupted by streetlights, blah, blah. So these two things, the size and that photo period, create quite a problem for the home grower. And the plants never really become a popular plant for Uncle Bob and Aunt Sally. Well, in 1903 or or so, a guy was wandering around, a scientist in the Volga River area in Russia, and he, he sees a bunch of little teeny plants that look like cannabis plants, but they're small. And he collects some of the plants, and he gets the seeds from these plants, and the seeds and the flowers were developing before there was 12 hours of darkness. Hmm, what are these? He had stumbled upon what he considered to be a new form of cannabis, which he called cannabis ruderalis, meaning rubble. This is a plant that was evolved from escapees bees from hemp plantations. Ooh. And they escaped in northern climates, and they were growing out in the wild, and the plants that didn't flower before 12 hours of darkness came didn't make it. And evolution developed a plant that didn't have a photo period requirement, had a genetic requirement to flower instead. And so these plants were known in 2003, uh, 1903 or four. People fooled with them a little bit around 1973, I think it was, something like that. Don't hold me to the dates. Uh, you know, people started started to get a little bit better with it. Uh, you know, this was back in the, you know, the hippie days and people wanted to develop a smaller plant that they could grow indoors. And then in 2000 or so, a guy did it. He developed an auto flowering cannabis plant that flowered with a THC content that was adequate to continue to experiment growing the plants. And it was called the low rider. A lot of history behind it, a lot of mythology, but the low rider uh, result, I mean, you can breed these plants with regular cannabis and regular sativa, et cetera, 
And so people continued to breed them. And around 2003 or four, people started selling them on the internet. And, you know, they were, they were okay. You know, they were mm-hmm. okay. They were decent plants and they grew to be about maybe a foot and a half tall. And, you know, maybe you got uh, an ounce of dope if you were lucky, you know, and used the right lights and everything. And then all of a sudden there was an explosion in breeding and, and, and oh God, about two years ago, they just developed uh, to the point where commercial growers were starting to use cannabis pl- uh, that were auto-flowering cannabis plants for two reasons. One, they were growing them uh, in between their veg plants and their flower plants, which required different daylights because these didn't matter. And so they could take up the space that was being wasted uh, and they would flower. Now, when I say they would flower, they go from seed to harvest. Are you ready? Seven to nine weeks. Whoa. Let me, yeah, let me say that again. Seed to harvest in seven to nine weeks. Now, there's a, a second kind of autoflowering cannabis, really the same kind. They call it super flowering autoflowering cannabis, and they take a little bit longer. You know, they may take nine to 20 weeks. Wow. And they get to be, they can get to be, uh, you know, two feet high, three feet high. Oh, wait a minute. The super flowers get to be three and a half to four feet high. And you can grow them in five gallon buckets. Wow. These plants now have a THC content that they can, uh, depending on what you buy, uh, a THC content exactly the same as the commercial plants, just in the twenties, just as high. Blah blah blah. You can you can grow CBD auto flowering cannabis plants, and here's the catch: they really don't like fussing. <laughs> they mm. don't like to be fertilized. They don't like fertilizing. What? Uh, you put them in the soil in the same container. You're going to grow them in the whole time. Wait a minute. I say to myself, as I start to experiment with them, these are just like tomatoes. You don't even have to stake these puppies. You don't have to pinch them, although you can. You don't have to do a, a screen of green, although you can. And it is freaking, if I may use that word, unreal. So unreal. So unreal that I decided, you know what? This is, this, cannabis is now legal in 19 states. It's going to be in the next year and a half. Uh, it's going to be legal in the entire country. It's legal in Canada, uh, Bolivia, Colombia, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm writing a book. We need to spread this word because these yeah. are really They're unbelievable. And, and they're pretty plants with different forms, different colors. I, I, you know, I'm peeing in my pants. I just I, I, I cannot tell you folks. And so, so I wrote this book. It's coming out in October. I think it's going to be called DIY Auto Flowering Cannabis, A New Way to Grow. So according to Jeff... I'm going to be able to walk into a Walmart in less than 10 years. Just buy my grandma a little weed plant. Fucking hope so. <laughs> a little mini one too, like a little just one footer. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I'll take it. Just a little, like instead of a Christmas tree at Christmas time, you just go in, get a little auto flowering cannabis plant. And then you can give that to whomever you want. If anybody wants to get me a Christmas present this year, get me a mini auto-flowering cannabis plant, please. Yes, that would be great. But it is interesting to hear because he makes a good point. You know, the, a standard cannabis plant w- takes great skill, great space, 
great resources to actually make the work. photo period exactly the photo period you have to have the change of light the whole bit when you have an auto flowering cannabis plant that allows you to all of a sudden make this a commercially viable product yeah it's just cool and, and it's cool that you could do it as a home grower as well without having like this huge warehouse greenhouse space yeah, or lights and everything else that you would need mm -hmm. so it it's very very interesting that that change was made and that's kind of what is reliant upon in a lot of cases but also a lot of home growers can use now and it's available it's out there if you're in a legal state where you're allowed to grow we'll get to that later anyway. <laughs> but yeah. you know in, in terms of making a thing commercially viable jeff has such a knowledge of how to actually grow cannabis i had to know what he saw as some things that commercial growers are doing wrong nowadays first of all obviously there are a lot of tremendous commercial growers and people who are really dedicated to the art uh, my my philosophy is that you're growing a medicine uh, at, at the very least uh, people are putting whatever you're growing into their systems and so you want to do it organically and you want to do it cleanly so the first thing that bothers me is anybody who uses pesticides uh, you know that, that 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 all we all know hurt us uh, on a crop is just doing something not only wrong but but immoral. And I know what happens. I mean, you know, you have to save your crop because it's your living. Uh, but gee, willikers, uh, it certainly defeats the purpose. Uh, and the second thing is, uh, uh, you know, some cultural practices that I don't like. I don't I don't like uh, flushing. Uh, I think there there is a way big mythological. <laughs> uh, thought about flushing. I don't like flushing. I don't think it makes any sense. I don't think there's any science behind flushing, uh, and I think it deprives a plant. And by the same token, I don't. I don't like uh, people who remove uh, leaves from plants unless they happen to be dead leaves, or it's uh, you know maybe a day before harvesting, and you're trying to make it easier on yourself. I think removing leaves, people remove fan leaves, you know, to get more light to the buds and all that kind of stuff. No science whatsoever. Bad practices. You know, you see these commercial grows with these lollipops all over the place. Ah, I can't believe it. It's just so silly because it removes so much ability of the plant to continue to provide nutrients to those flowers that are growing and fattening up. And it just drives me nuts. So those are, those are some of the things that bother the heck out of me. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of debate in the cannabis industry about all, all of these things, mm -hmm. but I'm right. So, of course, because, I again, I haven't met this guy, but just the use of G. Willikers makes me happy. I love it. <laughs> Anybody that can throw that into a, like a casual conversation, big plus for me. Anyway, no, a, a bunch of good information in there. And, of course, you know, obviously, Jeff having dived as deep as he did into what creates plant food and what is the best environment for plants would be an obvious advocate for the most natural way to possibly grow anything is probably the best way. But being a lawyer, he is well aware that in a lot of these cases, these crops are a business and a way of life. So people have to do what they have to do to get by and to be the most safe. There's not a lot of guarantee when you go the natural route. But if you can, if you can support that, if you can do that, do that. That's going to be the best because this is medicine. Yeah, I mean, we bring this up all the time on the podcast. 
I personally don't want anything ingested into my body, especially cannabis or medicine, that's not organic. It's, it's so important. It's a bioaccumulator. As soon as you put chemicals or pesticides into that soil, yep. all of that is coming into the plant. And then you're smoking it. Or, yeah. or eating it or having a tincture of it, whatever whatever you're doing. Which I get back to, like, if you're freebasing pesticides, it's going to be a bad day. No. It's probably why you get a headache when you smoke weed. Just saying. Anyway. Yeah. So I love that he says it's it's immoral, even. Yeah, and brings up a good point there that it is kind of immoral to put things into a plant that then people are ingesting without telling them. Yeah. Just wrong at the end of the day. But we did go into some of the specifics of processes that he saw as not great for the plant um those things were premature trimming of leaves flushing um a bunch of stuff that i had actually never heard of before so i'll just let jeff say it flushing is uh, something that a lot of hydroponic growers started to do and i think it carries over into a lot of people who do soil growing as well uh and what what it entails is is just giving copious quantities of water to your plants without any nutrients, usually the last five to 10 days of the plant's life. And the theory is that providing all this fresh water uh, enables the plant to use up all the nutrients that are in the plant and uh, <clears throat> in the flower, and somehow you get a better tasting bud out of it. Uh, the proof of it is said to be uh, when you light the bud uh, and combust it, it comes out with a white ash as opposed to a black ash which of course is just completely stupid because it, it, it depends on how you, how you, you know, apply the heat to, in terms of what kind of ash you get and how quickly things burn, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, uh, flushing, there's no science behind flushing. All, all plant cells have membranes around and uh, it takes a lot of activity and a lot of chemistry to make those membranes work. Those membranes not only take in nutrients, but they hold them in the, in the, some go that easily. So there's a, just a tremendous, tremendous waste of time by uh, flushing. Uh, in addition to which, you're depriving a plant of nutrients for the last five or 10 days of its life. And it's always feeding itself. It's always growing. So stupid thing to do. They don't do it in the tobacco industry. They don't do it in the t apple industry. They don't do it in the, you know, the beans or beet or carrot industries. It's just stupid. It's just, you know, it's somehow this myth got, got going and and uh, it's time to end it. So basically, there's no science behind flushing, and it's stupid and should not be done. <laughs> <laughs> and I do like how, how Jeff does lead again with a very scientific push. You know, if, if there's really no science behind it, and it's just kind of what people have done, maybe always and forever ask why. And that could just be a good overall life lesson. Exactly. So... We just wanted to lead it into, okay, well, if you're going to do organic and you're going to stay away from pesticides, what are some best practices in the grow? Well, of course, I always recommend growing organically. And, and if you grow organically and properly organically, you, you have far fewer, uh, you know, pests uh, infecting your plants. Uh, <clears throat> you know, all the cultural practices, uh, you know, sh should be on an organic level. Uh, and that includes using compost tea as a potential pre-pesticide, so to speak. Uh, you know, you spray your plants and you outcompete uh, uh, the bad guys for space and nutrients that the good guys that you're spraying on use. Uh, and so, you know, you, you, you do all sorts of great stuff. Depending on what phase of the plant, if it's not in flower, 
uh, you know, the, the neem-based things uh, work. But once a plant gets in the flower, gee willikers, uh, I, I really don't think you'd be, oh, I should be putting anything on it. It's, it. You know, now I'm not a commercial grower, and I understand that this is how people make a living. They can't afford to lose a crop, but you can't afford to be, you know, harming your patients either. So it's not even a question in my mind. Strawberry Sequoia. Yes. You are a resident. Green thumb. Do you use compost teas? I do not. No, I've heard about them, and I have never, ever made a compost tea in my life. Nice. But I did link to compost tea on the blog. So places that people can learn more about that. Yes. Which is good. I actually didn't even know that compost tea was a thing before this. This is one of those interviews that for me, because I'm not a grower, I don't presuppose to be a green thumb in any way, shape, or form, was super, super interesting to me to learn all these things, just about how plants grow, not only just cannabis, but what you can do to advance your cannabis grow up, if that's a thing that you're doing. Anyway, so Jeff being the just rabbit hole digger that he is, I was super excited when we got to the one, five, and 10 part of this interview. And that's what we went into next. Yeah. Uh, and I think, um, you know, my answer's got to be, uh, I think people are going to really, really get into autoflowering cannabis. I think that's so much that my next book is on autoflowering cannabis. And and I, I just think it's the future. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, I get some pushback, but boy, oh boy, more and more, I'm getting a lot of people who agree with me. Uh, and, and I know a number of commercial growers that are now using uh, auto flower cannabis for their, uh, their stock. Now, I, I, I also happen to believe that this is the next tomato. And so I think that the home gardener is going to be growing cannabis because it's going to be legal everywhere. And I think these are the plants that they're going to be growing because indicas and sativas are, are simply too big and take too much time and have a photo period problem. Uh, that these don't have. So so these are the next tomato. Uh, this is where cannabis is going. I think in five years, when you walk into your supermarket floral area in the around Christmas time, uh, you'll be finding uh, small auto-flowering cannabis plants there. We're all decorated out like Christmas trees. The stigma around this plant is is disappearing, and well, it should. And, and so I think uh, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be out there in a, in a big way. Ten years from now, uh, I think we may finally be in a place where, for, for any number of reasons, some good, some bad, uh, we've stopped treating cannabis as the gateway drug to taxation, uh, you know, and we stop all these stupid, uh, oh boy, are we going to raise money now that cannabis is legal schemes, which is what we have. Uh, in fact, it's how we got cannabis to be legal. You know, we said, oh, taxes, you know. Ah! <laughs> so I think, it's gonna, I think we're going to find in 10 years, people are going to look at this as a plant as opposed to, you know, uh, a way to fill the treasury, uh, a way to distinguish young from old, a way to distinguish hippie from non-hippie. Uh, it's just going to be a plant like a tomato. For years and years and years, everybody was picking on the cannabis people uh, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we stuck together then, and, and we need to stick together now as well. Again, going back to autoflowering cannabis, I hope I can just go buy a cannabis plant in Walmart. 
I hope so too. <laughs> that sounds, sounds like so fun. romantic and fun. Let's get a little, you know, one that's only twenty days till flowering, mm-hmm. but fits conveniently on your windowsill. Right, could be bonsai in uh, fun shapes. Delightful. Well, I think we just invented our fiftieth business of the Mary Jane Experience podcast: bonsai auto flowering cannabis plants. I have seen some pretty sweet. There's actually an Instagram account and it's Canna Bonsai, but I think it's with the bonsai is with a Z. Oh, okay. And they have incredible little cannabis bonsai plants, and I'm obsessed. We're going to get them in touch with Jeff. We're going to make auto flowering cannabis plants, and everybody's going to be able to get one for your grandma every holiday season. Holla at your boy. Holiday at your boy. <laughs> <laughs> that was awful. Anyway, I, I do love, and we got to touch on what Jeff said there. Um, you know, his hope for 10 years that it would just be regulated as a plant um, that, you know, had to to tax a plant. Like Nobody gets taxed on poppy plants. Nobody gets taxed on apples and things of the like. You know, hopefully, I, I, I think it's going to be really hard to get there just because anything that has a large sum of money involved, the government wants to have its sticky fingers in it to tax it, which is totally fair. That's how we get roads and stuff. I'm not above the taxation model but it is it is again it's romantic and wonderful to think that maybe one day we'll just have it as a plant and that would just be that i love it and that's all part of the destigmatization process that we're working on which jeff agrees with it will be just destigmatized and if you're listening to this podcast it might already be for you but this might help anyway we're just throwing it out there so Super fun talking to somebody like Jeff, who's got an incredible scientific knowledge, a sense of humor. G. Willikers, Batman. He does. G. Willikers. Jeff, I'm not making fun of you. I just think it's amazing that you say that. Yeah. No, it's so much fun and it's so informative. And I know that if we were to buy his books and really dive in, it would be just a whole other world of information. So I encourage checking those out. And because we now have the canavan, we got to go visit him. He invited Jeff, us multiple times. Jeff, can we times. stay in your driveway? Absolutely. He said we have to go up there for flowering season so we can see his auto-flowering cannabis plants. Which I'm, I'm so in. totally down for. Canavan going to Alaska. <laughs> and with that, we do have to announce. That's right, everybody. We are making the Canavan Mobile Podcast Studio. We're taking this show on the road. Strawberry, tell us a little bit more. If you haven't already seen our announcements, you should definitely head over to the Mary Jane Experience on YouTube because you can follow our vlog and our entire build out and eventually our adventures via YouTube. But right now we are building out a Dodge Sprinter to be not only everything we need to live, but an entire mobile podcasting studio. So even if you're just into van life, check us out. We're doing an entire electrical build. We got solar. We put down Pergo hardwood floors. We're going to have granite countertops. This thing is going to be decked to the nines. That's right. And you can follow along and see the entire build process and the subsequent adventure. Exactly. And the adventure is going to be really cool because we're going to be traveling around the country and probably Canada as well, if not the world. Hopefully Mexico is legal by then. Then we get to Otto Mexico. Oh, hell yeah. Do some surfing, get some sativa. But we're going to be talking to everybody. I mean, from your like mom and pop grandma that decided to grow in her backyard in Tejas 
to, you know, like things we do generally, talking to CEOs of major cannabis corporations and anywhere in between. So there's going to be so many fascinating interviews that come out of the Canavan. Or even trying to go to a hemp farm in Alabama. Well, there's hemp farms in every state now with the farm bill. So, and if you are one of them, if you are a person with a cannabis business in any state, please do reach out to us at info at maryjaneexperience.com because we would love to hear your story and we would love to put you on our map. And that brings us to the conclusion. Remember, everybody, we are the Mary Jane Experience app, maryjaneexperience.com. You can find us on social everywhere. Follow us on YouTube for the Canavan Adventure. And if you have questions, comments, statements, or just a general interest about the cannabis industry, reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Info at MaryJaneExperience.com. We love you. We love you you. too. Thank you so much for all your support and love. And we will see you on the road, bitches. Don't be afraid to hit that subscribe button, homie. Anyway. Seriously, love. It feels so good in my heart and soul when people subscribe. A review even. Wow. That just warms every part of me. Do you like stickers? Do you want stickers? Review our podcast. We will send you stickers. Our stickers are so fucking sweet. (laughs) (laughs) You will be the envy of all of your friends. That's right. Anyway, like us, review us. We love you guys. We appreciate you. And with that, as always, good night, potheads.